This week's life note, overcoming fear of scary movies. Welcome to Life Notes from Chair 17, a podcast dedicated to sharing life stories, wisdoms and inspirations as we navigate life's journey. Host C.H. aims to share thoughtful perspectives and insights from her own life journey, as well as those of special guests and contributors. Tune in for thoughtful conversations about lessons learned, wisdoms gained, experiences had, and inspirations shared. Find us where you get your podcasts and be sure to hit follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now enjoy this week's episode. All right. Welcome back in, friends, to another episode of Life Notes from Chair 17. I am your host, CH. Thank you again for finding me in this corner of the podcast universe, especially if you are a new listener. And if you are a returning listener, thank you for your continued support. I appreciate it. Um, this episode, uh, I'm hoping to have a little bit of fun with. Uh, as you know, on this podcast, we like to talk about, you know, life lessons, journeys, wisdoms, inspirations. Uh, but we also like to talk about life experiences. Uh, and as we round out October of 2023, I had the opportunity, no, I realize I have the opportunity to do a Halloween-themed episode uh, as this will post uh, the weekend before Halloween, so the Friday before. And when I was thinking about doing it, I, I didn't want to do uh, a Halloween episode, you know, with sound effects and all that such kind of stuff, it, maybe next year. But I, I did start to ask myself, did I have perhaps a funny or relatable or maybe curious life experience story as it pertains to Halloween? And the actual simple answer to that is, yes, I do. I actually have more than one. <laughs> But uh, October is one of my favorite months of the year. And I do love uh, Halloween, but not only Halloween, also in conjunction with Halloween. So uh, Dia de los Muertos, so the Mexican celebration of Day of the Dead. I highly recommend if you have not seen the animated film Coco. It is a great I think, my own opinion, it is uh, a, a beautiful movie that really highlights the celebration of Dia de los Muertos. I love the storyline and how it shows the cycles of life and acknowledging and honoring people who have passed on. The visuals in the film are just... The coloring is so beautiful. So if you're interested in that, I highly recommend it. If you're not, that's okay. That's not of your belief system. Totally fine. More just a recommendation if you are or you want to learn more. You could obviously Google about the Day of the Dead celebrations. But uh, as it pertains to Halloween and particularly here in the U.S., um, I always think of October as being scary movie month. 
And when I think of it in that context, uh, it, it brings up the childhood memory uh, of essentially being terrified by Michael Jackson's thriller at a very thriller video at a very young age and then ultimately doing a complete 180 and becoming a horror film aficionado uh, as I went into teenagehood and then obviously through the rest of my life. So how are Michael Jackson's thriller and Michael Myers, the villain of the Halloween series of films, related? Um, we have to get in the Wayback Machine to start the story uh, as it pertains to me being a very young child and seeing the Michael Jackson thriller video when it was shortly after it was released or within the year that it was released. Now, Saying that obviously dates myself, and that's fine, but if we take a moment and think about the release not only of the Thriller album, but also uh, the video, the video is very legendary, uh, and you have to think back to the early 1980s when MTV was just becoming what it ultimately became for many years. Uh, the Buggles song always cracks me up. Video killed the radio star. It did not. It actually made them even more starific, uh, especially with this new medium and the creativity that came with it. And the video for Thriller at the time was pretty much unlike anything that we had ever seen. And I will post a link to an article that talks about it really set the bar uh, and it, it really changed a lot for a lot of artists and a lot of people for MTV. It was not a three-minute snapshot video like some of the early videos that you watch of artists now. It was legitimately a 14-minute short film that I always joke seems like a music video was just playing through it. And for those that don't know, the backstory and the inspiration for the look and feel of that video came from Michael Jackson reaching out to the director of American Werewolf in London, who is was John Landis, and asking him to do the video. And John Landis said, basically, only if I can make it a short film. Uh, because at the time, Landis, as a film director, had no interest in the new music video medium. And I think he says something to this effect. If you happen to watch the making of the Thriller video, uh, you can find that out on YouTube. It's pretty fascinating. But he was initially very turned off. And the only way that he would do it would be to make it this very long-form uh, video that we all now know and have come to appreciate. And they together created a super iconic uh, and historically significant, uh, not only just music video, but also I think putting music video and what you can do with them on the map. Uh, and any artist today that is and does any form of long, any any kind of long form music video can certainly trace its roots back to when John Landis and Michael Jackson made Thriller. So if we get in the Wayback Machine and we think about yours truly being babysat at that time of 
her life. Uh, I happened to be being babysat by one of my favorite babysitters who was maybe not the best at assessing what content she should be playing or showing me while she was babysitting me. Now, in today's world, this likely would not get a whole lot of attention because 9- and 10-year-olds see and have seen way worse. But back then, probably a heads-up would have been a good idea. And we also have to remember that in those days, uh, you had to, like radio, right? You had to kind of wait for your video to come on or and and or hope that they would play it. But the good news about the thriller video was because of its length and because of the enormity and popularity of of not only Michael Jackson, but the anticipation of and playing of the video. MTV was very deliberate back then, and they would always advertise when they intended to air it again after the completion of the the current airing. So you could essentially plan it like watching a television show at X time on each day. This is when the thriller video will air. And since my parents, really my dad, love you, dad, know you're listening, but you didn't allow us to have cable, uh, the idea of watching a music video on cable TV was the best thing ever. And so being babysat by this babysitter was a real treat. Uh, since we generally could watch MTV and could generally see stuff that I wasn't able to see when I was watching television in my own house. I know that sounds really suggestive and it's not meant to be. It's basically, I, I had access to MTV and that was pretty cool. And we essentially planned to watch this. The day comes, she's all hyped up. She's a massive Michael Jackson fan. Think about today, all the Swifties who have Taylor Swift all over their uh, rooms and posters and stuff. Same thing for her back then, but it was Michael Jackson. And yet she doesn't tell me what to expect. So I had no idea what was coming. I knew of the song. I'd heard the song on the radio, but I had no visual. And we have to remember that this was back in the day, no social media, no instant spoiler news. This was literally either a wait and see it yourself, or maybe your friends saw it and they talked about it, or maybe you read a write-up somewhere or saw an ad or something or some sort of entertainment press news of some kind. That was how you knew. You couldn't go on YouTube, watch it, find out about it, and then talk about it. It was very much the anticipation of being able to see something that was this hyped up. Um versus, you know, any kind of spoiler news or instant viewing of it. And I know that probably sounds like some kind of foreign land a hundred years ago, but really this was what it was before we could just go to find anything in 30 seconds on the interwebs. So if you are familiar with the video, and here's here's the moment where if you're not, you've not seen it, you probably want to pause this episode and you might want to go watch it because it will likely get spoiled for you if you continue listening. Disclaimer, if you aren't into sort of jump scares and maybe B 
B-movie-esque scary stuff, then maybe it's not for you. Um, it might seem pretty corny if you watch it today, but I just feel like it's fair to say that disclaimer as a girl who got spooked when she was really little. Uh, and if you're still here after this, great. We can talk about it. So as you know, the video opens up pretty much very mellow. Uh, the quote-unquote Michael character and the quote-unquote girlfriend character are on a date. They run out of gas. They decide to get out, walk home. He likes her. He tells her he likes her, wants her to be his girl, gives her his high school ring. It is really B-movie corny at this point. And then he starts to tell her that he's different. And if we hearken back to remember who the director is and remember what the inspiration for this is, at 2 minutes and 24 seconds into this video, my world changes for about five to six years. That is when Michael, the character of Michael in the video, turns into a werewolf and not the Professor Lupin Harry Potter werewolf or the Twilight werewolves are cool kind of werewolves. No, this was the fluorescent bloodshot eyes, growling teeth, uh, glaring sort of freak you out if you are about seven, eight or nine years old. What the heck did I just see? I don't know. I can't watch the rest of it. I ran upstairs. It's a very quick cut. It's very unassuming. And then it, you know, it goes back to him fully transforming into the werewolf and he chases the girlfriend around and so on and so forth. I did not have my PhD in horror at that time, so I didn't pick up on the moonlight cloud cue to maybe think something was coming. No, I just got the full on quick turnaround it went from michael jackson's face to the werewolf face and i was forever changed um and as you also know that whole opening sequence of the video is this mini movie where once the opening werewolf sequence kind of comes to a natural end where he looks like he's going to attack the girlfriend it cuts back to michael jackson sitting in a theater with his girlfriend, who's the same actress, watching the movie of himself, this fake movie of himself. It's in a theater full of people. She freaks out. She leaves. He runs after her, and as they exit the theater, then the first opening bars of Thriller play, and you know that, okay, we're going to actually start the the singing, dancing part of, of the Thriller video. But, you know, history's made... That video is legend, and I can't watch scary movies at all for a good period of time. And it was not until the release of Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, that that changed. And it wasn't even that film. It was really the ad for that film. Uh, it was... I was moving into early teens at the time, and I saw an ad for it in, again, the newspaper. And back then, it was a full-page black-and-white ad that had this giant white 
mask that looked very menacing. And at the time, I was looking for inspiration for a villainous character that I was writing in a short story. And it just so happened I saw this image and I was very curious and I thought, well, maybe that could work. What is that? Let me find out more about that. And I determined and figured out it was essentially the sequel to the film that was released the year before, Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. And that's the one that changed everything for me. Nerd me was looking at the Halloween 5 ad going, well, I don't think I can watch or see that one without watching the one that came before it. Sidebar for Halloween fans, or as Halloween movie fans will know, Halloween 4 uh, has, is long thought of as sort of rebooting the franchise a bit after a hiatus following Halloween 3. Uh, Halloween 3, let's just say it took the series in a different direction from the first two, and there was no Michael Myers, there was no Laurie Strode. It kind of left the fans wondering what the heck happened. Uh, and it didn't really have anything of what was in John Carpenter's original Halloween and obviously was a big draw for people at the time. So when Halloween 4 rolled around, it did bring back Michael Myers as the villain and it took the story in a whole new direction and one arguably that would be a good direction. Jamie Lee Curtis did not appear in it. She declined. Uh, She had gone on, obviously, since the original release of Halloween in the in 1978 and then the sequel a few years later she was quite the big movie star but that didn't stop the producers from um, kind of reinventing uh, a, a heroine character uh, in the form of Rachel Carruthers as played by Ellie Cornell who to this day uh, that character still remains a massive inspiration and I'm uh, convinced that I think any protagonist female character I wrote for years after seeing this film, has some version of Rachel in it. So suffice it to say, the Halloween 4 team did an excellent job of bringing back what a lot of folks had uh, loved about the original uh, approach that Carpenter took. And it is the one I went to go find after seeing the ad for Halloween 5. Now, I was not old enough to go and rent Halloween 4 by myself, so I had to have someone rent it for me. The irony is I can't remember who rented it for me, but somebody did. It's probably my Aunt Cass, but I, I, I can't say that for sure. Needless to say, that's another dated moment also, right? Video rental stores. Anyone remember those? No, just me. Okay. Uh, I watched it by myself in the middle of the day kind of holding my breath, just going, what's going on? Okay, all right, well, okay, that's okay. Okay, that's okay. And if you have seen that film, Halloween 4, again, if you haven't, I'm not really going to talk too many spoilers here, but you can rent it if you would like. Uh, Again, if you have a tolerance for it, if you don't, do not do it. But overall, the approach that the filmmakers took was not to make that film particularly gory. Uh, it was much more akin to the original. 
Uh, so it was more of a psychological scare, more of a mysterious scare, ominous, menacing, without the need to glorify. And it gave uh, it, it gave me the sense after I got through with it, I I I kind of kept waiting for that to happen, and it never did. And meaning, sort of the gory, glory stuff, it didn't. And by the end, I was like, "Wow, did I really?" I just kind of, I just kind of got through that. There was no, <laughs> there was no werewolf jump scare to freak me out. It was something that I was able to get through and kind of feel good about to a degree at the end uh, that I had successfully watched uh, my first scary movie after spending years of not being able to see anything scary thanks to Thriller. So I thought it was all good after that day of watching it and then we got to Nightfall and I swore that I was staring at a white masked face in the towels that hung on the wall opposite my bed. <laughs> True. How, how is that? So you have to think that there was a towel rack that hung in such a way that when towels were draped on it and the light came in from the neighbor's house next door, it shone in such a way that there were shadows that made it look like there was a white masked face in the towels, or at least that's what my eyes saw after watching Halloween 4. And so I had to sleep that night and subsequent night afterwards, basically staring out of the corner of my eye at what looked like Michael Myers hanging out in my towels. Now, that sounds really funny to say out loud. You're probably laughing if you're not laughing. Uh... Okay, that's fine, but it is funny to say it. And as I stared at those towels for the longest time, <laughs> trying to talk my then teenage self off the ledge, I kept saying, there's nothing there, there's nothing there. And I just kept repeating that over and over to myself until I fell asleep. And then I stayed asleep. And each morning I'd wake up and I was like, see, there's nothing there, there's nothing there. And I I wish I could remember sort of the actual date when I stopped doing that, but let's just suffice it to say it was somewhere in 1989 uh, because I eventually stopped seeing it, seeing the face in the, in the towels, and I essentially reclaimed my ability to watch scary things, and I really reclaimed it. So I went on to watch a lot of scary movies. I became the scary movie friend. I became the friend who always goes into the haunted house attractions first, like with people holding on to me kind of a thing. And particularly my high school years when we would attend uh, Knott's Scary Farm, which is the thematic late September, October transformation of the Knott's Berry Farm Park into what is, uh, according to, I looked it up uh, before I recorded this episode, they are the longest running and most haunting Halloween theme park in Southern California, event in Southern California, and it's almost 50 years old now, and I can attest that's actually true. And even if I uh, happen to go to some pretty amazing haunted corn mazes up here in the Pacific Northwest, which are 
family-friendly by day but zombie-friendly by night. I always think back to this evolution from the girl who couldn't watch Michael Jackson turn into a werewolf to It Takes a Lot to Scare Me Now. Uh, if you ever have the chance to go to Knott's Scary Farm, highly recommend that you do it. It's not for the faint at heart. There are some legit jump scares, and they do go all out, but it is definitely worth the price of admission if you are uh, into that kind of thing. So, again, it's funny to think back on this whole experience, the idea that, you know, a very B-movie jump scare turns me into having a PhD in horror and fully embracing scary movies as a result of trying to find a villain for a short story that I was writing. Um, and again, I, I joke that I have a PhD in horror. I have no PhD. I do not have a film degree. It's just the way I kid about, uh, this evolution in uh, my tolerance to handle and then conquer my scary movie fear. So hopefully this story was entertaining to you. Uh, if you are celebrating Halloween, please be safe and please do so responsibly. If you're not celebrating Halloween but you tuned in all the way to the end of this episode just to hear this story. I thank you and appreciate it. And there is no pressure to go uh, become a Halloween fan, become a Halloween movie fan, or do anything scary. So, as always, I will ask you to continue to be kind to yourself, to take it one hour at a time, one day at a time, and I will catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Life Notes from Chair 17. Remember to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time. <laughs>